0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again this afternoon to join together in the worship of our Triune God. A hearty welcome to you all who are present here and also those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Tamara Bookhold has requested an attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Byford. We wish her the Lord's blessing in her new congregation. You're also reminded that the wedding of Tamara Bookhold and Daniel Van de Waal is scheduled for coming Saturday at 10:30 a.m., not the incorrect time that I said this morning. So 10:30 a.m. in the Free Reformed Church of Byford. The Lord willing holy supper will be celebrated next week Sunday. 11th of December in the morning service, and the consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 8pm in the consistory room. Brother Dathan will lead the worship service this afternoon. Before we commence this service, let us sing together from Hymn 7, verse 1 and 2.
1: afternoon congregation, let us rise to worship the Lord. As we come before God to worship him, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And God greets you this afternoon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now praise God and sing a psalm of ascent and worship him with the words of Psalm 122, verses 1, 2, and 3. we just sang together, Jerusalem, designed so well, built as a close-knit unity. And in the New Testament, God tells us that he is building all us up as a spiritual house. And we are together unified through one faith. And so we'll make confession of that one faith with the words of, of him one. Since we can't do anything in our own strength, let us come before God in prayer and ask for his blessing. Lord God in heaven, we come before you with thankfulness in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to come together and and worship you for a second time today. Lord, we acknowledge that, that sometimes it doesn't always feel as such, it doesn't always feel a privilege. Sometimes we can, there's so many things that we would like to do with the time. Sometimes it even may feel like it limits us in certain ways. But Lord, we know that all of this isn't true. For Lord, your word tells us otherwise. Lord, in, in you there is life in abundance. Jesus, you said that you've came to give us life and that we may have it to the full. Lord, in you there is fullness of joy. The the psalmist declared, he said, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Lord, in your word there is light and there is understanding. As the psalmist says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so as we come before you, we acknowledge that we are simple and that we need your word. And so we ask that you would open your word before us. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things in it. And Father, after hearing your word, that may our hearts be quickened by it. May we be moved by it. That we would delight in it. Father, may we be like those disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And when they heard the words of Jesus Christ, their hearts burned within them. And Lord, we pray that you would set our hearts ablaze as well. That, we would, that it would burn within us. And Father, we also thank you that you give us understanding that we may be able to keep your word. Father, thank you for being willing to teach us, to instruct us in your way, to guide us in your footsteps. For Lord, we need your guidance. We need your instruction. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would dwell in us and that he would abide in us richly so that your word would also dwell in us richly. Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So this afternoon, my intention is to preach God's word to you as it comes to us from Genesis 45. We've been making our way through this book, the last parts of this book. And last week, well, two weeks ago, we dealt with Genesis 44, and now we get the resolution to that passage in chapter 45. So previously, Judah has, uh, Joseph has put the brothers in a situation where he is testing them to see if they have changed, to see if they are new people, and then as we saw last time, God powerfully transformed them and we saw how Judah uh, passionately interceded for his brother. And so now we see the the resolution of things in, in Genesis 45. So let us read that together. It's on page 46 of the church Bible. Now, the word of the Lord. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent him God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me you and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and and all that you have, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on, upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's, your, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load up beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons for the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent his followers ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan and uh, to their father Jacob And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let us now respond to the reading of God's word and let's sing together of the abundance of God's provision and we'll do so by singing Psalm 36 verses 2 and 3. So as I mentioned, this afternoon we'll be going through God's word as it comes to us in Genesis 45. And since we have read that passage together, we'll proceed to the the proclamation of the gospel. And then afterwards we'll sing from hymn 32 verses 1 through 4. Well, dear congregation, greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that feeling that you get when a story ends without a resolution? For example, maybe you're, you're watching through a TV series or maybe reading through a, a novel series. And then you get to the end of the episode, all the things are in place. But then it stops short and you have to read the next book or you have to watch the next episode. All the pieces are in play but you're still waiting for that final resolution for all the things to come together. Now maybe you had that feeling last, well, two weeks ago, when we went through Genesis 44. Because really in that passage, we have a similar situation. You have We've been kind of tracking this story for the past couple of chapters, and we've seen so much change in the brothers. We see that they're they're new people. They're in this place where They've been tested, and we see that God has really transformed their hearts. And yet, at the end of Genesis 44, we still get no resolution to the story. Joseph is still unknown to them. They still don't know that they're talking to Joseph, to their brother. The question is, will there be reconciliation? Will there be forgiveness? Or think about all the things that are happening back home. Think of Jacob. He's not in Egypt with the brothers. Think of all the families, all the little ones that are there. They're, they're still starving. They're still hungry. And so yet we see everything. It's all ready. And yet we don't have a resolution. Well, congregation, in chapter 45, we get the ending that we want. We get the resolution we've been waiting for. Finally, we get the grand reveal you could say.
2: Joseph is
1: alive, and what we see is that his life leads to blessing for the people of God. We see that there's forgiveness, we see that there's provisions, and we see that there's new life for a despairing father. Really, in this chapter, God makes all things well for his people. He makes it well with the brothers, there's peace, there's harmony. He makes it well with the family, they have food and provision, and he makes it well with Jacob. He brings peace where there's hostility. He brings food where there's famine and comfort where there's agony. And so that brings us to our theme this afternoon. The Lord reconciles, provides, and comforts his chosen people. And so we'll see firstly where God makes it well with the brothers, where he reconciles the fraternity. And then we'll see where God makes it well with the family, where he provides for the family. And finally, we'll see how he makes it well with Jacob, and he comforts a father so firstly, let's have a look at how God makes it well with the brothers. Now before we pay cl- closer attention to the passage in front of us this afternoon, we need to zoom out and see the passage in light of Genesis as a whole. So after Genesis 3, you have the fall into sin, and we see the, the repercussions of the fall into sin on all the different aspects of life. We see, especially in the, re- in the context of relationship, that there's conflict, that there's hostility. And as you move through the book of Genesis, we see this play out especially with siblings and sibling rivalry. In the very next chapter in Genesis, chapter 4, you have Cain and Abel. Cain is, is jealous of his, his brother Abel and how his sacrifices are going well. And so he kills his brother in the field. And so there's death, there's bloodshed. And then it continues. Think of Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael bugs his brother. And it leads to separation. It leads to conflict. Ishmael is sent away. Or then think of Esau and Jacob. You have Jacob who deceives Esau and in his wrath, he wants to, he wants to kill Jacob. And now you could say, well, really, the, the brothers do sort of reconcile. There's no bloodshed. But really, there's still no peace. There's no unity. The brothers still come together and then they end up going their separate ways. There's no fellowship and communion. And so as we come to this passage, we have the brothers here before Joseph. And the question looming in our minds as we read through the book of Genesis is what will happen this time? We have the same situation of conflict with brothers. Will there be bloodshed? Will there be forgiveness? Will there be peace? Or will conflict continue to... Will conflict continue to threaten the promises of God? Well, really, that question is answered in our passage before us. Because for the first time in Genesis, we see true unity. We see true peace and true forgiveness. If we think of what happened last time in Genesis 44, Joseph had tested his brothers. He put them in a situation where they were, he was recreating the crime scene. And he watched, and he watched his brothers to see what they would do. Would they, would they, again, sell their brother into slavery? Would they let their brother go? What would happen? And so in this all-for-nothing moment, Judah takes responsibility, takes ownership for his brother, and he stands in his place. He was not going to let Benjamin become the Joseph 2.0. He was not going to let Benjamin be that next brother who would be sent off into slavery. While they go back to their father. now Judah intercedes for his brother. He says, I will stand in his place. I will be his substitute. Take me instead. Let the boy go. And what a profound display of God's transforming power in his people. In the hearts of the brothers. We see them move from where they didn't even care for their brother at all. And now they're standing together as brothers. And hearing Judah's intercession for his brother, jo- Joseph is just overcome with his, with his emotions. It says there in, in verse 1, we have those beautiful words, that Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. His compassion and his love for his brothers just poured forth. He saw that they had changed. He heard them take ownership for their sin when, when they said, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. He saw their refusal to leave their brother behind. He saw how Judah offered himself in place of the brother. And all of that, all of that demonstrated that the brothers were sorry for what they had done. And this is really crucial, brothers and sisters, if we're going to be reconciled with one another. You see, you may desire to make amends with someone because of, of the hurt that you've, or because of the way you've hurt them or the way that you've offended them. But if you don't take responsibility for your action and ownership for your sin, then there's not going to be reconciliation. There's not going to be true peace. You may have a desire for peace, but if you don't take ownership for your sin, that peace is not going to actually come together. See, unless we take ownership for a wrong, that's when true reconciliation is is possible. And in a similar way, it's, it's true for our relationship with God, isn't it? if we refuse to take responsibility for the way that we've offended God and how we've rebelled against Him, how we've grievously offended Him, then there won't be reconciliation or forgiveness. You see, God doesn't forgive unrepentant sinners. And so the gospel call, the first part of the gospel call, is that we humble ourselves, is that we take ownership for our sin. And that, taking ownership for our sin, we then bow before God's majesty and say, "We have truly sinned." And it's once we've done that that God graciously forgives us, and He washes us, as we've seen this morning in the baptism. Oh, God will forgive us, but then at the same time, for two parties to be to come together, there still is more that needs to happen. You see, the brothers, they would taken ownership for what they've done. But if Joseph wasn't ready to forgive the brothers, then they still wouldn't have been united, would they? And we see this with how the brothers react. So with tears pouring from his eyes, Joseph says to them, I am Joseph, is my father alive? But those words, they didn't bring joy to the brothers right away. They were dismayed at his presence, says Joseph. They were dismayed at his presence. More literally, they became paralyzed with fear. It would have sounded like gun gunshots in their their ears. Here is the man they mocked. Here is the man that they had thrown in a pit. Here is the man that they sent off into slavery. And now here he stood, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. What was he going to do? What was he going to do to them? No wonder they were speechless. I wonder why they withdrew and and pulled back from Joseph. And it's interesting, we see a similar thing happen in Pentecost, at the Pentecost, I should say. So Peter addresses the crowds and he says to them, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We read that in Acts 2 verse 36. So he says, Jesus was crucified, you crucified him, and God has made him the Lord, the most powerful ruler in all the world. And what was their reaction, brothers and sisters? They were overcome with fear. They were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what are are we to do? The fact that Christ was alive wasn't immediately good news to them, was it? No, it filled them with fear. Fear. God had convicted them for their sin, they had taken ownership. But it didn't necessarily mean that there was going to be forgiveness or peace. It was only when Peter afterwards said, repent and be baptized and receive the forgiveness of sins, it was when he assured them that Christ would readily forgive them. That was when the resurrection became good news. So there needs to be a readiness to forgive. And that's what we see here with Joseph. Joseph was ready to forgive them. And he lovingly assures them of that. He says to them... He says, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't be worried. Come to me, he says. Come near. Please. And those are the words of forgiveness... Sin sets up barriers. Sin breaks down. Sin pulls relationships apart. But forgiveness heals. It bonds. It brings people together. Joseph says, come near. Come close to me. And what is more, we see him weeping over his brothers. We see him embracing his brothers. Isn't it so moving, Correation? Just think of the situation. The brothers hadn't talked with Joseph in years. And even if we think of Genesis 37, they couldn't even talk peacefully with Joseph. And now here they are, talking with one another and embracing one another. There is peace. Out of God's goodness and out of God's mercy, he reconciles this relationship. He brings them together. And you know, there's a message here for us brothers and sisters The beloved Son, Jesus Christ, He calls all of us to come near, to come near to Him. He calls us to be reconciled to Him. Out of the overflow of His heart, He has so much compassion for us. We need not pull back into a corner or pull away from Him or fear that God will withhold forgiveness from us when we humbly repent. No, our God graciously and readily forgives us in Jesus Christ. Christ says, come near, my brother and sister. See my readiness to forgive you. Look at the cross. Lay your sins before me and I will forgive you. Come experience peace. And he does that so that we might experience his his loving embrace. He does that so that we might experience communion and fellowship with him, which was long lost because of our sin. This is what God in Christ does for all of us. But now maybe you're wondering this afternoon, how could, how could Joseph really forgive his brothers? After all that they did, how was he ready to forgive them? And we could further ask, what will enable us to be ready to forgive our brother or sister? And our passage shows us. We see that it's a heaven-centered perspective that will enable us to forgive one another in, in situations of conflict. And of distress. It's interesting. Four times Joseph mentions God, and one time he mentions the brother's sin. Verse five, he says, "There for God sent me before you to preserve life." And then we see again. He acknowledges. So he tells him the situation. He says, "You have you have sinned against me. I'm the one that you sold into slavery." But then again, verse seven. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And then he continues, So it was not you who sent me, but God. And then he says, Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son, God has made me lord of all Egypt. God has sent me here. Joseph realized that the brothers were really secondary causes. They were the secondary cause that pulled them into Egypt. Really, it was God behind it all. He recognized that it was God who had a purpose in his suffering that went far beyond him and what he could see. He realized that God was at work, even in all the situation and the brokenness that he experienced, and all his suffering. It was God. And is it possible, maybe, brothers and sisters, that the reason why you might not be able to forgive someone is because you've mixed it up instead of speaking you could say four times about God and what he's doing instead you speak of it four times about the sin and four times about what that person did and once about what God does yes we confess that God is sovereign but do we really believe that God is sovereign in our conflict that God is sovereign in our sin Because it's only that heaven-centered perspective where we can say, God brought this in my life. That is when we're going to really be ready to forgive. And that is when we're going to be ready to be at peace with one another. And to move beyond our, our conflicts and our hurts. You see, it's only when you can honestly say, my brother, my sister, you hurt me badly. But this is what God did in my life. This is how God's been at work in my life. It's only when you can move to that place that you'll be able to forgive. Think of our Savior, Jesus Jesus Christ, on the cross. How could he say on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. It wasn't because he focused on the crowds. It wasn't because he focused on the Pharisees or the betrayal. It was because he focused on God. He recognized that it was God behind all this. He knew that. What did he say in the garden when he was experiencing the the agony? He said, please, Lord, if this cup may pass. He wasn't just sitting there experiencing suffering. No, he realized that it was God behind it all. That God sent him to preserve life. That God sent him. That God was the one that made him drink the cup of suffering. And why did he do that? It was so that sinners may be reconciled. It was so that he could preserve life. And give life, so that we may be embraced by God. Isn't it a wonderful picture of the gospel? We see this beloved, exalted Son, he's alive, and with peace and healing in his wings. You see the brothers there, their relationship is completely shattered. And now there's forgiveness. And congregation, that's the same with our relationship with God. It's completely shattered but it comes, there's healing and there's forgiveness through the exalted son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there's, we see that God makes it well for the brothers. But then as we continue, we see that he also makes it well for the family. We see that there's preservation for the covenant community. And that brings us to our second point, food for a family. So up until this point, God's covenant community His people were living under really the shadow of death. Think back to the promise. God promised them that he would make them a a great nation. And yet here we see the family's dysfunction and and the threat of famine seems to make that all a pipe dream. It seemed like it was all going to come to nothing. It wasn't blessing and fruitfulness that followed them around. No, it it was curse. It was death. Think of Genesis 43, it opens up with those words, Now the famine was severe in the land. Or think back to Judah's plea. What does he say to his father? He says to him, Send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. That's, that's a statement of dire circumstances. That's a statement of desperation. Their families were famished and they were living under the crushing weight of hunger. Please send us to Egypt, he says, that we may not die. The covenant community was not experiencing blessing. They were barely hanging on. But then all of that changes in this passage. You see that God does not leave his chosen family to die off in, the, in Canaan with the promises. No, God sent Joseph ahead to especially provide for his family, to provide for his covenant community. And Joseph realizes this himself. We've mentioned it already a few times. He comes back time and time again. God sent me here. And what does he say there? He says, God sent me before you, verse 7, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. God sent me here to preserve you. God sent me here to provide for you. As one commentator writes, he says, in this regard, Calvin, I mean, uh Joseph out-Kelvin's Kelvin with his affirmation of God's providence. God has sent me here. He saw all of that and he saw that God was at work. That was the reason he was in Egypt. He was there to provide, and that comes through multiple times in very short succession. So he highlights that, he, he tells the brothers that he is a ruler in Egypt. And in the very next verse, he repeats the same thing. And then he says in verse 9, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. He says, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. So that you will not come to poverty. Come. The best of the land is at your disposal. We will provide for you. I will provide for you. God has sent me here to preserve you and to save you from famine. And that is reaffirmed again with with Pharaoh's um, proposition to Joseph to show show him the provision. He further shows this. So you have Pharaoh who favors Joseph, who loves Joseph. He is the, the man in Egypt. And he's very pleased that the family has come. And what does he do? He assures the family, once again, I will provide for you. He says, take your father, the household, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. There will be no lack of food for you. Just leave your your belongings behind. Don't even worry about it. There is an abundance of food in our storehouses. There is a full estate waiting for you. Don't even worry about your furniture. Pharaoh says, come, come. We will provide for you and it will be abundant. Don't worry about anything. Do you see how God is caring for his people here? And notice how it wasn't just for the brothers. It wasn't just for Jacob, but it was for the whole family. It was for the whole community, the whole household. Remember how Judah was concerned for the little ones, for the children. Remember how he said, send us to Egypt so that we might die, both we and you and our little ones. And look how God provides for the little ones. What does Pharaoh say to them? He says to them, Excuse me. He says to them, I'll give you wagons. I'll give you wagons for your little ones to carry you off to Egypt so that you have provision. And so you see that their fate has been drastically overturned. They go from a a family who is in famine, and now they're a family in fortune. They go from a a family who is under the crushing weight of a curse, and now they're in a place of blessing because of Joseph. God blesses his people by means of Joseph, his son. And congregation, it's the same for us. God will provide for us. He is sovereign over all things. And His sovereignty and His governance is for the benefit of His people. It's for the well-being of His people. It's not just an out-there doctrine that we kind of bring in when, at times when we don't know what's going on. No, this is the whole way that He cares for us, that He provides for us. You see, if you think about it, the family is at the brink of disaster, but God has all the pieces in place so that this family is cared for. And even just think of the fact that What does Pharaoh say? He says, the best of the land is yours. You will eat from the fat of the land. If you read further on in in Genesis 47, you see that the Egyptians were hungry and they come to Joseph and ask, you know, we will be your servants. And yet here's God's people. They're dwelling in Goshen, in a land of abundance. See how God has taken care of them. And he cares for you as well. I just thought I'd share with you a, a story of a brother in, in Canada. So, him and his wife, in the early years of their marriage, they, they were struggling financially. He was doing a PhD program. And at one point, he said he, he literally had $7 in his account. And it got to a point where they're discussing that morning they had $7 in the account, they, they couldn't buy groceries really, they had nothing. And he was, they were talking about him pulling out of the PhD program so he could find a job and so that they could actually provide for themselves. And that same morning, he goes to the mailbox. And he opens it, and there is a letter from a couple, from a neighboring uh, congregation, from a neighboring church. And that couple was a, well, they were, uh, they were retired, they were financially well off. And what happened is that their, their father had passed away, and he had left a sizable inheritance but they didn't need it because they were retired. They had all the funds they, they, they needed. And so they sat down together and thought, okay, who are the people that are going to benefit from this? And they divvy up all this money and they write checks. And so when that, that brother who was struggling goes to the mailbox that morning with $7 in his account, he opens the mailbox and there's a check. And it's not just enough money to cover for the week, it's for the next several months. And I'm sure many of you have stories like that, where someone came just at the right time, where someone spoke to you at just the right time and spoke a word of comfort, and that just uplifted you. Those are all ways that God cares for us. Those are all evidences of his love and his care as he brings us through life. You know, just ask each other, and I'm sure you'll hear plenty of stories of that. And all of this comes to us. Why? It's because of God's love for us in Christ. Think of Jesus Christ. He laid aside his glories. He he laid aside his riches and he humbled himself. Think of his ministry. He goes throughout his ministry and what does he say? He's, He's got nowhere to lay his head. Christ says in Matthew, he says, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He experienced privation. He experienced poverty so that we might be rich towards God. Not riches in terms of gospel prosperity, that sort of idea. But no, rich in that God will care for us. That he will bless us. And he will bless us because of his love for us in Jesus Christ. As Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. By his death, Christ obtained favor from God. And now from his exalted place, at the right hand of God, he cares for us and he preserves his church and he provides for his church. And he'll do that every day. He'll care for you and he'll watch over you. But what's amazing is that he is also at the same time preparing a place. He invites us to share in his kingdom. So he cares for us in the present, but he also encourages us with what we have coming in the future. Out of the overflow of his abundant heart, there is a kingdom that that we have a share in. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. And now like the brothers who shared in the glories of of the kingdom because of Joseph, we too will share in the kingdom of God because of Jesus Christ. As John says, as Jesus says in his gospel, in John 14 verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And then the passage continues, it says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Christ has a glorious kingdom that awaits us and he desires that we come and that we enjoy that kingdom with him. And he will preserve us day in, day out so that we may reach that kingdom. That is the future that we have in store for us. So we see that God provides for his people. He cares for them. He makes it well with the family. And yet it's not just the physical needs that he provides for. It's also the spiritual needs. So we see that God brings reconciliation with the brothers. We see that he ensures that the family is provided for. But then we also see that he brings comfort to Jacob. He brings comfort to the father of Israel. If you think of Jacob, as we saw previously, things were not going well for him. After Genesis 37, the picture that we have of Jacob is is a man who is just consumed with grief. For him, the only place that he thought he would see Joseph was in the grave. And as the story unfolds, it seems that he's going to meet more and more of his sons in the grave. It seems like he's going to be bereaved of of his household. And so each day as the brothers are off in Egypt with Joseph, it would have felt like an eternity for Jacob back home. With the families. So you think about it. Just as he's sitting there and he sees the, the people come. He sees them coming. That would have been such a huge relief for him. They're coming back. And not only was Simeon with them. But also Benjamin was with them. All his sons were there. And that would have been a huge relief. But then, the amazing thing is, is that the brothers come. They come with more than just provision. They come with good news, good news that is full of comfort. It's that Joseph is alive. Jacob, your son Joseph is alive. He'd been mourning for his son 20 years. You can almost picture him, maybe he had a little memorial out back that he would visit every day. But here he was. Joseph was alive. But he couldn't believe his ears. It was just too marvelous. As it says there in verse 26, And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart, this is Jacob's heart, became numb, for he did not believe them. His heart became numb with disbelief. And you can understand why, can't you? Because what if it wasn't true? What if he got all his hopes up only to find that, that it wasn't going to come about? That it would only added pain and agony to what he was already suffering. And again, this can make us think about the disciples. Think of the news of Jesus' resurrection. It reaches the disciples and we're told in Luke 24, verse 10 to 11, and these words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. Why? Because they loved and cared about their master, about their, their teacher. And it would have added pain and agony to them if, you know, if it wasn't true. If it turned out to be false. But it was true. And it says, when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. So it was the words and it was the wagons. It was evidence of the provision. And what were those words? Well, those words were of his humiliation. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. It was words of the fact that Joseph had been exalted to the throne, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Those words included that glorious invitation. Come down, dwell with me in Goshen. I have made a place for you, a place where you can dwell. And it included the assurance of provision. I will provide for you. And it was when he heard that and he saw the wagons, he saw the evidence. His spirit was revived. You see, behind all those words, he could hear God crying out to him saying, Look, Joseph. I mean, Jacob, look at how I provide for you. You thought your life was done when Joseph was, was dead. You thought he, I had left you. You thought that all those promises were going to come to nothing. But look at what I'm doing. I am with you. I love you and I care for you. And even though you couldn't see it, I'm still with you. You see God comforting this mourning father and taking him from a place where he's lifted up out of his agony and where he's at a place where his spirit is revived and there's new life for him. And if you think about it, brothers and sisters, Jacob didn't deserve that. Jacob was partly to blame for the whole situation. It was his favoritism that that caused all the mess in the first place. It was his special love and affection for Joseph that, that made all the brothers envy him and jealous of him. And yet... God comes and he comforts him. He brings him comfort. He gives life to his bones. He raises him out of despair. He, he changes that torment that he was experiencing in his soul to peace. And again, think of the disciples. The resurrected Lord comes to the disciples. And what does he say to them? Why did you desert me? No, he didn't say that. Why are you, were you so slow to trust me? I told you three times that I would suffer and that I would pass away, but then I would rise again from the, from the grave. No, he didn't say that. What does Jesus say? He says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. He came to comfort them. He spoke words of comfort and assurance of his love and care see congregation God will provide for you he will give you all that you need so that you can live before him in his kingdom day in and day out he will sustain your life he'll preserve your life and he doesn't just care about your physical needs and then stop short of your spiritual needs no he is the God of all comfort the father of mercies he sees the anxieties of our heart just as he saw Jacob's anxieties He sees the way that we've botched up our lives because of our sins. He sees how we've made a mess of our our family relationships and other relationships. And yet in his grace, he comforts us with his assurance that he will carry us and that he will be with us. He brings us peace. So what a beautiful resolution to the whole story. God makes it well for the brothers. He brings forgiveness, reconciliation to these brothers who had just been shattered from sin. And we see that on top of that, because of the, the favor that Joseph had, God sent him ahead so that he would prepare a place for his people. So he makes it well with the family. He makes it well for the family of promise. He provides for them. And more than that, God makes it well with Jacob by comforting him and giving him peace for the torment of his soul. Now, as those forgiven in Christ and purchased by his blood, if God made it well for his chosen people back then, will he not make it well for you as you journey through this life? Amen. Let us now sing in response hymn 32, verses 1 through 4. Let's now come before God in prayer. Dear God in heaven, we come before you. We come before you, the God of all comfort, the God of forgiveness and peace and reconciliation, the God of all provision. Father, we thank you for the way that you worked in the life of your people. Father, we see that your people were on the brink of ruin. About to be consumed by famine and death. And yet you sent Joseph ahead that all things would be well. You brought peace where there was conflict. Life where there was death. Riches where there was poverty. And comfort where there is turmoil. And Father, you have not changed one bit since the Old Testament. Since you did this work in the lives of Jacob and Joseph. Father, you are the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And Father, you stay the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that means just in the same way as you cared for your people back then, so you care for us. And we see this supremely so in Jesus Christ. We see how you've brought peace where there was hostility. Father, we see how you care for us and provide for us, how you pour out heavenly blessings from your throne because of your favor on us, because of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for those in our midst who who are experiencing conflict or in situations where there isn't reconciliation. Father, we pray that you would work in the hearts of all those involved. That Lord, you would in your grace that you would bring about peace. That you would restore broken relationships. For Lord, we live in a world where there there is much of that. Lord, we are people who often mess up things because of our own sinfulness because of our own pride because of our own our own desires we can so easily manipulate we can so easily walk over each other and so Father we pray that in your grace you would work reconciliation and peace where there is conflict among us that we might be united in Jesus Christ Father we also pray for those who need provision whether that's physical and bodily needs, Lord, who are struggling with their finances and struggling to, to make ends meet, or, Lord, who are suffering because of physical ailments. Lord, we pray that you would provide. Lord, if you gave Jesus Christ, how will you also now, give, will you not also give us all things? Father, we thank you that we can see your care and provision, that even though in the messiness of, of Jacob's situation that you were at work, that you were there caring for them and providing for them. And so we pray that you would also be with those in our midst who are struggling with that. And Father, we pray also for for those who need comfort. We live in a world of much hurt, where things are torn from us. Think of those who are mourning the the passing of, of of a loved one and who are suffering from the ongoing effects of that. Father, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, we pray that you you would comfort them. For Lord, your son is always ready to help and comfort us in life and in death. And so we pray that you would uphold them in your loving care. And Lord, as we now go into this week, we pray that you would also help us to to cling to Jesus Christ. For Lord, since no one loves us more than him, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to, to plead on his perfection, to plead on the basis of his righteousness since we have none. And help us to trust his power since he has all the power in heaven and on earth. And Father, may you carry us and provide for us in this week and also encourage us. For Lord, it is from the heavens and from the clouds that we await our Savior, where where there will be such a glorious resolution to all things. Where you will bring all our sins and all our suffering to nothing. And where you will make us alive and all things will be new. In the new heavens and the new earth. Where you will wipe away our tears from our eyes. Where you will make our bodies new and whole and, and perfect. And where you will make our desires such that we long for you and we desire you and we delight in you. Father, we await that glorious day. Oh come, may it come quickly. Lord, Maranatha. And Father, as we look ahead to that glorious future, we pray that you would bless the proclamation of your, your word around the world. We thank you that you have sent missionaries. For Lord, this is part of your gifts that you pour out upon us. You give pastors, you give evangelists, you give teachers, you give missionaries. And we pray that you would please bless the missionaries who are in Pop- uh, Papua New Guinea. Be with those whom we support. We think of Pastor Ryan DeYoung. We think of, uh, we think of Brother Paul. Who is serving there, and the other co-workers. We think of the work that has been done in the, the Bible college. Father, we pray that you would bless that, that your word would go forth, that there would be those who are discipled, Lord, that many would bow the knee. We pray that you would bless where other mission work is going on. We think of Brazil, we think of um, home missions that are going on here and, uh, in Australia as well. Father, may the proclamation of the gospel go forth, that many would hear, and by hearing they would have faith and that having faith, it would believe in Jesus Christ and find life in him. Lord, we bring all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your offerings before the Lord, and that is requested for the work of mission work in P&G. As you go from this place into the new week, receive the blessing of God and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.